constant growing of things unknown, drawing from the endless reaches of time. J- Jason. Jason. Yeah. Jason. Synesthesia to me is uh, it's a true definition of the mixing of the senses. What makes synesthesia exciting? It takes us all the way from just the mingling of the senses, all the way to metaphors or even transcending the senses, where you are, are no longer constrained by the tyranny of individual sense impressions. Jason, what are you talking about? <laughs> Synesthesia, a movie podcast featuring Jason Mikhilich and Jim Hickox, begins now. Pull the We need to establish what the Batman is earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he asks him and he says, I'm Batman. But like, but what does that mean? Are people going to get that? What if they just think he plays cricket? Yeah. <laughs> can, can we learn that from- <laughs> what, if, what if he's just Kaiser Bill's Batman? Yeah. Um, I want to make a Batman movie that's just about a cricketer. <laughs> It'd be like that movie, Cricket in the City, only it's just the crickets in Gotham City. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or I don't think that movie's actually called Cricket in the City. Whatever. But whatever it is. Mr. Hoppity goes to town. <laughs> w- wick, wicket, the Wicket Witch. That's the, <laughs> that's the bad guy. <sighs> I'm ready to, to uh, clap if you're ready to clap for ourselves. Let's give us a hand. I'm, I'm ready for the clap, Jim. <laughs> yeah, get ready. <laughs> I'll clap right There's in your a, ears. Uh, uh, well, yeah, we'll, we'll clap and then I'll talk. Three. <laughs> three. Two. Two. One. One. That was the appropriate amount of time after. Yeah, so. great. I didn't hear you clap that time, so I thought you just stopped, which means that we must have been super in sync. Oh, yeah. I like it. We're generally in sync on your end, and then on my end, I hear yours like a second it's afterwards. Very strange. Um, I'm trying to remember the movie. Uh, John Wick 2. Yes. No, it's, uh, uh, I think it's from Harold Pinter's The Homecoming. <laughs> okay. I was close. Uh, yeah, it, the same thing. But it, when, when I just said I'm ready for the clap, mm. uh, and then you responded to it, uh, I'm trying to remember. There, there's some line in there where the uh, the the homecoming is all um, uh, British family members being incredibly vicious to each other in tone, okay. while also like saying normal things or saying horrible things to each other in a pleasant tone. That sounds great. Uh, and it yeah, and it, it just kind of it completely fucks with your sense of, of, uh, you know, family and propriety and language. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's, there's a scene where, uh, a son is, is coming home, the titular homecoming, coming home from being away for a long time. And he's facing off with his completely, uh, monstrous father. And he's just saying, ah, dad, come here for a kiss and cuddle. Come here. I'm ready for the cuddle. <laughs> And just like says in this like growling like, combat ready thing. Come on, Dad, I'm ready for the cuddle. 
It's really good. Yeah, sounds really delightful. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, I mean, I'm talking about it as if it's only a movie. It was a play first. Whatever. Pinter did right plays. Harold Painter. Yeah. He, painted. he was a painter, obviously. Harold Pinto. He drove cars. He exploded <laughs> if you bumped him in the back. That's probably true. Yeah. Um, trash. I love trash, it. Trash. Bad movies. Bad movies. Are we circling a theme or circling the drain? <laughs> we're, we're, we're back on our bullshit. Hey, hey. Coming up on Ooh-hoo. Synesthesia. What about a nice cuddle and kiss, eh? Come on, then. You want to kiss your old father? Want to cuddle with your old father? Come on, then. Come on. You still love your old dad, eh? I'm ready for the cuddle. (laughs) He still loves his father. Oh, I've been continuing my Halloween hangover. Yeah. While I do other things. What what Um, has that entailed? Well, now it's entailed watching Friday the 13th Parts 2 and 3. Sure. Because I was like, well, I did the first timeline of Halloween. So let's go back and see what actually... Because you hear a lot about how number two's really good. Mm -hmm. uh, And then number three is where the hockey mask comes in. And I just kind of wanted to see that happen. That's reasonable. You know, because I at that point in time I'd I'd spent enough time to be like, well, I've watched two whole movies without a hockey mask. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to see it happen. It's interesting that um, that is the version of that character that is iconic. That character who yeah. isn't in the first movie and doesn't look like that in the second movie. Yeah, that we yeah. all latched on to number three as I guess because that's when it establishes itself as a franchise. I guess so, but it's also weird because as quickly as number four. They try to end that character. Oh, really? Well, so the way that I haven't actually seen four and five, Mm -hmm. but I've read about them. So one does not feature Jason, notoriously. That's, you know, that's like your trivia question that you can pop on people who are vaguely aware of horror films, but haven't seen them. Um, Number two does feature Jason, but without the hockey mask. Uh, Instead, he has a burlap sack that's very town that dreaded sundown. He also moves a lot like the guy oh, really? in town that dreaded sent down. Like it's a full on lift. That's interesting. Um, but like in a good way, yeah. it actually really works. I mean, that's for me. such a good thing that I've I've never seen in anything but town that dreaded sundown. Is yeah. that like, particular I, version of the masked killer? It's such a budget, yeah, <laughs> stuntman version. It's but it's so good. It's so strong. Yeah. Well, and, and it's before everybody decided that they had to move really slowly. Yeah. yeah. Like how they, like the, you know, they took the one bit of Michael Myers that's like scary in one scene and just made that, the thing that happens is that they move very slowly and everybody runs and they move very slowly and everybody runs, but then they catch them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The guy in town, the dreaded sundown, he's like a genuine maniac. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which is makes that it scene where he like jumps on a car door and it's swinging oh around with a car yes, driving. That's, that's the, uh, one of the best things I've ever one, seen. It is, yeah, it's one of my favorite parts of that yeah. movie. Um, I mean, obviously, the best part is knife on a truck, of course. But, <laughs> but the jumping on the car is one of those moments that genuinely shocked yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so Jason has some moves like that in number two. That's cool. Like there, like he he straight up runs okay. and jumps right. and does stuff that like you would do if you were trying to chase somebody. Yeah. <laughs> um, he also gets a full on comedy kick to the nuts which i didn't expect and it was so good um so i actually really like number two interesting uh people are right that is a good one i don't know that it's better than the first one the first one has the but i also don't know how much it's worth deciding which one's better because neither of them are great they are just what they are but i i I enjoyed it way more than i thought um number three was borderline on Okay. Uh, until he started killing people. Mm-hmm. So, and then it was sort of fun in the way that those movies are. Sure. I, you know, I, I'm just selling a chart. It had some moves. Mm-hmm. It actually had more moves than I expected at the end, mm-hmm. given how painful it was to get through the beginning. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely the one that is like you can. T- it's the it's the one that sort of builds the formula. Mm-hmm. The most, like he not only gets the hockey mask, which he doesn't get until like two thirds of the way through the oh, movie, wow. but it's right as he's starting to actually kill everyone, sure. as opposed to just a few people who have he's come across that they need for extra kills. Yeah. 
Um, but it's got like it's really hitting hard on the sex angle. Oh, interesting! Like people talking about sex all the yeah. time, and the final girl very emphatically not having sex with her boyfriend. Sure. Um, although the reason that she's not having sex is not that she's virginal, but that she is traumatized from having been attacked by Jason. Oh. Uh, like before he became Jason Weird. in number two, yeah. like she used to live in Crystal Lake and he just like found her in the woods one day and then attacked her and then she blacked out. So what? like, I don't know what they're implying happened, but she lived. So, sure. um, uh, so that that's a little weird wrinkle, but it's definitely like every character in it. It's weird because it's the same director as the second one, oh. but the second one has characters in yeah. it. Like it has people in it that you're watching and you're like, oh, these are the most well developed characters, but like I'm down with it. I kind of like spending time with them. I'm bummed when they die. Sure. And in three, it seems like he made the firm decision to be like, what's important about these movies is that teenagers get killed yeah. and I'm going to make you happy when they get killed because these people are awful. That's interesting. Uh, which is how all of the rest of those movies yeah. are. And like m- uh, many of the sure. films that follow yeah, it, yeah, yeah. like follow that formula. So, but then, huh. then what they do, it's weird that it's like watching that. I'm like, oh, they found the formula. So you'd expect every movie after that to follow that formula. Yeah. But in the fourth one, they try to definitively kill Jason. Oh, whoa. And switch the killer to, uh, shoot, one of those famous child actors who I'm blanking on the name of. Okay. Corey somebody. One of the Corys. Oh, okay. Let's switch it. Whoever it was. He, he's playing, he like... blonde or brown haired? Uh, I haven't actually seen yeah, him. Okay. So, I think he's... Might be brown. Is it Feldman, probably? Uh, yep. Uh, so they... Like, Corey Feldman's the main character in the fourth one who's like running from jason and then they kill jason and then i guess because of the whole like trauma of the incident he starts killing people that's, at the end i like, like that's the big twist i like the idea of a franchise where who's doing murders changes every movie or three i do too i think that's a great um, bit yeah so it's just I, I i do too it's just surprising that that happened in this series yeah because you think of the series as like the jason series yeah but he's not in the first right one. he doesn't have his iconic mask in the second yeah. one in the fourth one they try to definitively kill him and switch killers right. in the fifth one it's not jason it's a copycat killer whoa who isn't cory feldman but a different person okay and then in the sixth one is the one i told you about that's like played 50 percent as a comedy yeah but like pretty well done where Corey Feldman's character now not played by Corey Feldman sure. accidentally brings Jason back to life with lightning. Right. So like that one is sort of on formula, but also not. Yeah. It's them being and like, then, ah, I guess we'll go back to that old formula, but that old formula has only had one movie to gestate. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the seventh one is Jason versus Carrie. Sure. So it's another like weird thing. And then you're into Jason takes Manhattan and Jason in hell. Sure. So like for a series that's notorious for being formulaic, yeah. it never actually gets to settle in its formula, which is not to say that everything it does is interesting or like, you know, different, but it is weird that it's like almost an experimental horror series. Yeah. It's like creating all of the, it's the, it's the incubation chamber for all of the stuff that other people do. Cause like Halloween obviously is the, is the kickoff for the whole thing. But then Halloween sequels are way too particular and weird to Halloween. Yeah. To be. Yeah. It sounds like the Halloween series just kind of rolls in on itself. Yeah. Well, and, and they are also, they didn't do a sequel until after other slashers had started becoming sure, more popular. Sure. And so they're sort of partially playing catch up to this genre that they kicked off by adding in gore right, and all of right. this other stuff. And also just like going hard on some weird storyline about this character. Yeah. Um, whereas Friday the 13th is just like, all right, we figured out who this guy is and kind of what he looks hmm. like. And we're going to try to switch it up, but oh, it's not going to work. So now we'll just make him explicitly supernatural. So he'll always come yeah. back. And you know, they're just doing all this, this different stuff that other people can, can, you know, glide off yeah. of. I don't know. It's weird. That's very um, strange. Yeah. So two worth watching yeah. three weirdly. I'll say it's worth watching, but like, don't be afraid to fast forward. Okay. <laughs> Because I really, I it was just like the devotion to seeing it through to the hockey mask yeah. that got me through yeah. it. And then once he gets the hockey mask, he starts killing everybody, and it, you're like, the I movie get like it. Kind of yeah. <laughs> picks up, but like oh, oh, even within all of that, yeah. like all of they they generally, you know, definitely put all of their energy into the kills and the chase scene mm-hmm. at the end, and they do a good job with sure. it. Um, but like, even within that, they stopped to have somebody act and it's the most miserable thing. That's unfortunate. Like, they just didn't get anybody who could deliver a line. Uh, so. Weird. 
what are you going to do? And it feels like a choice because sure. it was right after the second yeah. one in which everybody could at the very least deliver a yeah. line. That's very interesting. Also, part three was in 3D. Oh, of course. And I did not of watch it in it 3D. Yeah. Uh, although I do have a copy in 3D mm-hmm. with red-blue go- glasses that came with okay. it, which just makes me happy I'll look at sometime. Yeah. But like all of the 3D scenes are very obviously the most obnoxious thing. It's like somebody says like, hey, we got to get some exercise. And some other guy goes, this is all the exercise I need. And he's playing with a yo-yo. And then it's just like yo-yoing into the camera for five minutes. So good. <laughs> Um, no, we're the, the I, I wanted to ask you questions. Don't ask me questions today, tonight, tonight, today. Jason, I cut my hair since the last time we talked. Can you hear the difference? Um, I can because you put all of the hair you cut off in your mouth. Yeah, that's why I'm talking about this now. <laughs> it was less of a haircut and more of a hair transplant. Yeah, into my tongue. Yeah. Uh, Jim, when did you first realize that you were different? I, what Related you, question, what, have you yet realized yeah, what are you talking about? that you are different? Different from what? Like from cats and trees? Pretty early. Uh, David Cats and Trees, who I went to elementary school with. Because <laughs> um, he's Jewish. When did you realize that you had a different relationship to media and art than those around you? And I'm a Gentile, is what I'm saying. Um... <laughs> Oh, cats and trees. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's a hard question to answer, right? Because I remember I so I didn't I didn't really I listened to like talk radio when I was growing up just because that's what was playing in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my parents had I'm gonna say 26 records, and so I listened to some of those, which was you know it was like some Peter Paul and Mary and some like George Harrison solo, uh, and one super weird um, Herbie Hancock disco album, which I have like three copies of now because I can't get over it. Is it Rocket? No, it's straight disco. <laughs> it's called Monster. I if, if you if you <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, I if you Google it, I like ninety percent listen to it. I because I I found it again as an adult and I was like ah because the cover of it is this like bulbous gnarly uh organ like like an instrument organ with like teeth yeah. and eyeballs and tongues um and i think i would just lie on the floor and stare at that album cover and listen to the album and as an adult i saw it and i was like Ugh! it like hit me right in the spine and then i listened mm-hmm. to it and i was like oh i've never listened i've never processed this music before um I definitely was just in it for the cover. Anyway, I, so that was my media diet, and I didn't get into, like, music. I wasn't even really into movies for a long time. I wasn't really into uh, culture for most of my life. <laughs> um, it was, like, late or mid-high school I started listening to college radio. Um, so I didn't really get into music until I got into, like... Uh, there, there was, on Monday nights, there was, like, a jazz show and then a weird jazz show. Um, and then uh, and then a funk show and then a techno show and then a show called Return to the Pit that played black metal. And I got really into, <laughs> I got really into that full progression all at once. <laughs> um, so I was listening to, like, you know, like, John Zorn and Mortician and, uh, and I don't know, the... The Commodores. Um, yeah, that's a heady brew to yeah. go like. And then, and then I. Didn't, well, were you in a position where you were where you were listening to that? Like, did you have a job or something where you had the radio on for a long period of time, and so you'd listen through all those shows? Or no, I was just I didn't have friends. I would I would just be in my room. <laughs> I would just sit in my room and listen to those. I don't know what else I did. I would like write things in a notebook, probably uh, think about how cool it would be to own a typewriter. You know, I was one of those kids. Uh, okay. Okay. I relate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. And then I, I didn't really get into. Uh, well, and, then, and then I sort of progressed deeper into music, but in I got really into like c- contemporary composed music. Um, I got into like uh, Henry Cowell and Colin Mancaro and like uh, to, to a lesser like uh, like Prokofiev. I got into like like modern and modern. I um would like to grab another beer. I'm going to do that, okay. too, and then, and then let's... let's... Yeah.
I am looking at Jason's empty room, where there are a couple of lamps against the back wall, sort of twisted together, and a shelf which looks like uh, it contains magic cards uh, organized by color. Although it seems like a lot, so I'm guessing it's not actually. Maybe just a bunch of boxes. It's pretty far away, and I'm not leaning that close to my computer. It's also a lovely leather satchel atop the uh, the bookcase. Very nice. Tonight, Jason. From the... <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying, from the, the angle I saw the screen when I came in the door, mm-hmm. uh, because of the way your headphones are now matting down your hair... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the glare that obscured part of your facial hair, it looked like there was a completely different person with, like, (laughs) fancy, fancy tamped-down hair and thin facial features just looking into your camera. (laughs) Oh, that's great. So, yeah. Clark Gable showed up. Yeah, exactly. It was like Clark Gable with Errol Flynn's haircut. Okay, yeah, yeah. Is what it looked like from there. Uh, Jason, tonight I'll be drinking a Blue Owl Brewing uh, Hop Totem. It's a local sour beer. It's a si- Hop Totem? Yeah. Uh, it's a sour citra IPA. I don't know what that means, but it's good. Oh, uh, citra is a kind of hops. You're a kind of hops. Fair enough. Gus is really into jumping now. Yeah? He doesn't actually know how to do it, but he's really into trying. <laughs> um, he, like, his motor skills are not quite where he can get himself off the ground. Sure. But he just says, jump! And he, like, he crouches his knee a little bit and then straightens up and kind of spins around. Nice, nice. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is a good version of that. Yeah, he's getting there. And now he's really into jumping down from things. Sure. But why, by which he means grabbing my hand and then just kind of falling. <laughs> He did it once without me today and like slammed his chest oh. on the couch. And the, it was actually kind of amazing to watch because he was fine. The first look on his face was of pure unbridled joy that he'd done it. And then he realized that he hurt himself yeah. and he was like, ouch. <laughs> but it was like, huh. <laughs> he was so proud of himself for just jumping off the table. Um, Totem hop reminds me of one other thing. This will be my, my other Halloween hangover mm, lead in. Mm. Because I keep, I, back when we were going to record like three weeks ago, I was going to bring this up to you. Are you okay? Great. Fine. Um, the other aspect of my Halloween hangover that isn't the official Halloween hangover is I watched some Universal Monster movies. Oh, sure. That was actually the first thing I did. That makes sense. I needed sense. a palate cleanser yeah, yeah. from, uh. Because that's a tradition our, that our you had to health. like sort of forego for our ridiculous project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my dad and I watched one oh, while okay. he was here. Which one? Uh, which was The Mummy's Hand. I don't know that one. Um, so I, I didn't really either, because I haven't... The one uh, sort of chain of movies I haven't really followed is The Mummy sure. one. I've seen all the Frankensteins, Wolfman's, Dracula's, yeah. but The Mummy ones, it's always weird. Maybe it's because that first film is so singular, yeah. and because it's pointedly not the same character in the sequels. Oh, interesting. That it just sort of didn't... I don't know. For some reason, I never watched yeah. them. But So I've now watched The Mummy's Hand and The Mummy's Tomb. Mm. And they're good. They're fun, like you know, good old fashioned monster movies. Sure. Uh, they they kind of remix the uh, history of Boris Karloff's character in the first one for a new character named Karras, okay. who becomes a mummy to protect a princess's tomb, and he's controlled by a like a lineage of Egyptian priests. Sure who keep feeding him tana leaves, which are the special substance that bring him back to life. Sure. Um, so all of that's fun enough. Yeah. Two things struck me as significant, though, to bring up to you. Mm-hmm. One is that after the first movie, um, the mummy starts being played by Lon Chaney. Weird. Uh, which is, I mean, he played a lot of different stuff sure. like sure, that. Sure. <laughs> um and it, it made me think of, of two things, which was that, one, I'd forgotten that when he sings in the title credits to Spider-Baby, mm-hmm. uh, Frankenstein, Dracula, and even The Mummy, yeah. that he had he played, played all, all three of those, those characters at some point. <laughs> oh, what a hero. <laughs> um, and also, I didn't expect, like, I love Lon Chaney, yeah. as is well known, but I didn't expect him to do that much with the mummy yeah, because there's it's not, sort of like it's not even Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> you can't even see his face. Yeah. Um, but I'll be damned if he didn't actually pull off some scenes of emoting yeah? like that were well beyond what the movie was asking of him. Good for him, man. You know, like there is a scene where he has to has to like give pause when his master's ordering him to kidnap the white woman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it could just be like a pause, but he's some, I don't know what he did 
I don't know what he did, but he like, didn't even have use of his face, but he somehow <laughs> made it like a genuine moment for the fucking mummy. What a hero. <laughs> so that's number one. Number two is that I don't even know how to adequately explain this except to just say it outright. Mm-hmm. The mummy movies either take place, their timeline is crazy. Okay. So the first one, The Mummy's Hand. Yeah. Uh, features characters going to Egypt and, uh, you know, violating the tomb of the princess, and then the mummy comes and tries to kill them all. And there's no indication in the film that it isn't set in the present day, which at that point in time is, I think, 1941. The next film explicitly takes place 30 years later. Okay. (laughs) Even though it's only made, like, a couple years later, and the actors from the first one are back in old man makeup. Oh. Talking to their kids... (laughs) About this crazy thing they did once. Wow. And then the priests bring the mummy to Massachusetts to eliminate the bloodline okay. of the guys who disturbed the tomb. Amazing. But what that means is that the mummy's tomb yeah. takes place in 1971. Yeah. But it's all still 1943. Sure. So the mummy movies posit a timeline in which. America is frozen in the 40s (laughs) for at least 30 years, in which none of the styles change, none of the mores change, and we're still in a hot war in Europe. Because in The Mummy's Tomb, they never name the war, but they mention the Russian front, and one of the characters gets called up. That's amazing. So, in 1971, he gets called up in a 1940s uniform to a Russian front. The only other option is that The Mummy's Hand actually took place in the middle of World War One, sure. <laughs> Basically. Sure. Which, or just before World War One, but there's no oh. indication of that. I Let's make a sequel to The Mummy that's a sequel to The Mummy's Curse that takes place now, but in in America that is still 1940s. Yes, that's all I yeah, want to we're do. We're still wearing tan pants and fighting Russia. I haven't watched the next one. I don't know where they're going to jump oh, to that's next. that's true. Because most of these movies, like, pick up right where the last one left off. Sure. But this one, like, literally started with the main character from the last one dressed as an old man talking to his 30-year-old son who looked... The actor playing his son looked like he was genuinely older than the actor <laughs> playing the dad. Sure. Which was... Yeah, so... Um, so that that was my other Halloween hangover. I love that. Fun times. I love that. I, uh, I didn't like movies before I met you. <laughs> that's that's the end of that. <laughs> I like, Wait, like, in what way? Because you liked movies when I met you, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, in a way where, like, you know, I grew up watching Ghostbusters, right? Who, who, just, yeah. right? who doesn't love Ghostbusters? You I mean, dumps. you were in the um, same history of film class as I was, right? I was, yeah, because I was, like, feeling it out. And I, I liked, um, you know, I had gotten... I liked, like, uh, uh, Six String Samurai. You know, I was finding, like, indie films and getting into those. But it wasn't, like, a yeah, passion. I was I was very oh, yeah. interested it, it in It wasn't, like, an extreme passion. But that is... You, you're already... Six String Samurai. You're already liking some offbeat yeah, material. Sure, I was, like, finding stuff. Yeah. Um, but I was super interested in music and photography. And then it wasn't until... We took that history of cinema class, because uh, with Scott, yeah, it was the, the I was introduced to sort of like films that were like really trying to accomplish something, you know. I I don't know. I feel like I feel like most most films are like pop music, right? It's like they're they're just delivering a story and they're trying to do it in a traditional way and get from beginning to end, even if they're like hanging a lot on them. Um, there isn't a lot of sort of art cinema. It, there is obviously art cinema, but it's not a big part of what you see if you're not really digging for it, you know? Whereas like yeah, m- music, and I'd it's also like say that, you yeah. flip around and you can find a station that's playing classical or a station that's playing jazz or like someone that's trying to do something that isn't like an easy to digest piece of music. Uh, yes. But, but films every film you're gonna see unless you're trying is easy to digest and i think i just don't i i'm i think i've never been super interested in in sort of middle of the road things you know Uh um so it wasn't until we took that class with scott that i was like oh these are movies that are trying to like find the boundary of what a film is or like they're really doing something strange with like imagery and time um and that that was when i started to like movies (laughs) scott being scott mcdonald the great avant-garde film scholar yeah yeah just to clarify for 
the two people listening. <laughs> um, they both already know. They were yeah, they true. were in that class with us. <laughs> um, well, I just I, I I just wanted to. What about you? When did you realize that you were <laughs> broken in a delightful way? Um, that is a very good question. I feel like I, if I thought about it, I could come up with a much more definitive answer. Don't think. Don't think, Jason. That's not what this podcast is for. <laughs> but I, part of the reason I wanted to ask you, and and why I followed it up immediately with the qualifying question, is that it, it does seem very often like you never went quite through the process of discovering that your tastes were weird i do i am still surprised by it a lot yeah i I used to have a roommate who who like lives on twitter and plays video games and watches movies for 20 hours a week and is super involved in the community and he and i would often get into conversations where and you and i have also a lot where where i'll state an opinion or he'll state an opinion and i'll be like no that's clearly wrong um and and he would be like oh no look here is the popular conception yeah yeah, and you're often still taken taken by surprise that this whole other mainstream world of of understanding and consumption uh, exists and exists in the state that it is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Which I I find uh, remarkable and charming about you. <laughs> um, Thanks. I'm just out of touch. <laughs> Well, no, but it, but it also it, it speaks to a little bit more. I don't know. I, I romanticize it as, as, as some more purity of of <laughs> uh, of mind and soul. I, what the the Kierkegaard book uh, "Purity of Heart" is the ability to will one thing or so, something along those lines. Uh, and so it it just it it charms me in that way um, because I can't remember. For me, I can't remember not feeling out of step in that, that true? way to some degree. That's interesting. Um, you also, though, here's, maybe this is related, is that I, as I, as I just sort of said, I was sort of raised in a, I don't want to say a culture void, sorry, mom and dad, but there, you know, <laughs> there like wasn't a lot for me to pull from growing up. And I just sort of like, right. uh, as things were introduced to me, I ignored them or occasionally was like, oh, I like that thing. But you came up in a space where there was like infinite <laughs> options. <laughs> For you, I, it seems like right. I feel like no. I, mean, I think your that's father really has true. Like Eight thousand albums and that were at your disposal and are and are very well curated. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely and I I was I w- was not only listening to but was sort of claiming for my own stuff at a pretty early age. I believe that. that. I guess this is my version of your thing is that it it somewhere along the line it surprised me. To realize that not everybody did that when they were kids, sure, or like, like I, you know, dive like when it. I was when I was six, my favorite album was the David Johansson solo record "Here Comes the Night," <laughs> sure. and it didn't. Of course, it was, <laughs> <laughs> and it and it, it didn't occur to me until much later that most people didn't get into that kind of music until much later. Sure, um, which I, it had benefits and drawbacks. Like I, I was so into the music that already existed, or that my dad liked, or that my dad, you know, knew that I was sort of shut off to a lot of the uh, popular culture that was appropriate to my age when I was in junior high or high school. So like, it wasn't until way later that I started, you know, listening to. Yeah, it wasn't until college, really, that I started listening to the Pixies or the Pavement or, you know, things sure. that were around when I could have been, you know, keying into that. But I was I was kind of trapped in a past I never made. You know? <laughs> That's funny because I feel like I feel like for most people, the Pixies are like an entry point, you know? And yeah. It, you just like kind of jumped the gate. And then later you were like, oh, also, I guess there's this stuff. <laughs> I mean, kind of. I had to play a lot of catch-up on 90s and 2000s stuff. That's right. Uh, uh, or I guess I would say I had to play a lot of catch-up on 90s stuff in the 2000s. Right, yeah.
but yeah, I I was just I don't know. Oh, no, no, go, go, no, go for it because I don't, I don't. I, all I was gonna say is I don't know where I want to take this next. So go, <laughs> go with your thought. I was just thinking about. Um, I was comparing in my mind. Uh, we've talked about like rock purists, right? I think I learned about that concept from you five years ago. Um, oh yeah, yeah, the of, rockists. Of, yeah, yeah, people who are like Led Zeppelin is pure music, uh, and Britney Spears is nothing. Uh, yeah, di- you know, disco sucks, and yeah, et yeah, yeah. I forget that they hate disco too. <laughs> Those are real See, bands. Is... Uh, they write their own music. <laughs> uh, whatever. Um, the... <laughs> but I was thinking. Oh well, no, about... that's that's the white guy's defense of the of of why they only listen to the Roots. Right. Oh, right. they play their own instruments. <laughs> right. Did you uh, know that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, I was thinking. Oh, because I was thinking about how I was just the, the thing I was just saying about films being sort of all popular art i i do feel like there's i feel like there's a whole range of, of i'm gonna go back to like the nolans and finchers who who are like no we're the artists but they're being led zeppelin right they're like they're just doing that same thing uh like they're also making pop music but it's but they feel like it's real somehow oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean i i think that there's a phenomenal amount of self-aggrandizement and self-deception on the part of, uh, you know, critically acclaimed filmmakers. Yeah. That they are doing more than they actually are. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I when, when you were talking earlier, I didn't want to interrupt you as much as I normally do. <laughs> but when you were talking about how there isn't a lot of art in movies, yeah. like there's not a lot of art movies, and then you kind of corrected yourself, but I actually wanted to jump in and say, don't correct yourself. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of art movies. Well, yeah, it's there's not. Really, yeah. And, and proportionately to other mediums, if you're talking about books or music, or there, there's just, there's fewer films to yeah, begin with because of the, hard the, the technological and financial burdens that up until now have have been really gatekeeping. Yeah. Um, and but so, even even as those have dropped for film, they've dropped even more for music, right? It's like no matter what, there will oh, yeah. always be. I, oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could record an album tonight if I wanted to. And if you're going to write a book, you don't really need anything other than a pencil and paper. If that, right? if, if you're going to write, you're going to write. Yeah, um, you just get it out. So Which the, is part of why the, comics are... Well, never mind. Keep going. <laughs> Well, I was going to say the technological curve is one part of it, but there there is also just something about I don't know. There's something about the way film has developed. Maybe it's just the industrial pressures and the commercial pressures, but it really has filmmaking has become synonymous with storytelling yes. and with uh, a certain kind of product. Yeah, and I I lean on that word product as opposed to artwork. Yeah. And I, um, and I think that it's put us in a place where it's like, <laughs> I'm just going to drag my metaphor through the mud. I feel like it's like, if you look at like, a, like most mainstream comedies are like, they're like Megan Trainer, right? It's like pop music that is clearly written by an advertising committee. Yeah. Um, and then you have your like Led Zeppelin, Christopher Nolan's. And, and what I think we need more of is like Mark Rabot's of film, you know? Yeah more yeah. I, John Zorn I have super mixed feelings about Zorn but like that's I don't know and I think there is some you know what I mean I think I think Cronenberg well, is sort for... of on that tip right and I think that yeah uh, I don't know but there, I think there that should that's... be space for people that you have mixed feelings about too yes like that's oh, another yeah, thing that, that, that's a whole other conversation but the sort of you know boosterism of you know, of of you know, yay cinema! Are you, you? How are you not excited for cinema? It's like no, we should have all of these mixed feelings about people, and there should be people doing things that are different enough yeah. that you have space to to wonder whether or not you even want to venture over in there. Yeah. Right, right now, the the daylight between somebody like Nolan and somebody like Fincher is almost nil. Right. Yeah. They're yeah. It's like they have slightly different color palettes. One is browner. One is greener. Um, but and part uh, you, of me's you, like you had just said something like, before that I was going to respond to. Was it about how much you love Mark Rabot? <laughs> like, oh, it was. I was going to say you, you said Mark Rabot or John Zorn, and I was going to say or like Wesley Willis's a film. Oh, you know, yeah, like, absolutely. And and I think again, that's another thing. It's like there's like what Dave the Rock Nelson is sort of a Wesley Willis, right? Or like uh, I don't know. There are a few people out there working that are that are on that tip. But like, let's have more. Yeah, yeah, and let's. I don't know. Part of what we've been talking about here is that let let's try to learn how to, if not appreciate them, at least not uh, dismiss them outright before we get a chance to see what they have to offer. 
Yeah, for sure. And again, there, there's burdens to it. Like a pop song, even like a Wesley Willis song you put on and it takes a few minutes to listen to. And yeah. you're either like, oh, this is amusing. Or you're like, what is this? This is amazing. Or <laughs> you are what, or you think it's annoying or whatever. But a film, or, you have to sit or, down and, and devote time. Or you're like, is this the same particular... song he played three songs ago? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did a film, there, there's not only the technological and financial burden to making them, but there, there are are technological, financial, fin- financial, technological, financial, and time burdens to consuming them. For sure. Um, even, even there, I'm using the term consume, uh, which I, I fucking hate that term. Consume, <laughs> you don't consume art. You know, you do consume most pop culture. It's mm-hmm. made to be consumed. It's made to be a, a, a product for a consumer society. But art is not for consuming. What, what's uh, it for, Jason? It's for experiencing. It's for looking at. It's for for existing with or coexisting with or having a conversation with. Uh, you don't consume it like you you know down a pop tart. <laughs> but you would you would you say you consume it like you eat a dry aged steak? You probably would if you wanted to stretch the language far <laughs> enough. You can make anything into anything. Where but like it takes you a while the, to eat it, and you really love it, and then you have to digest it for a long time, and then your poop smells weird. I don't know. I haven't eaten steak in a long time. Yeah, but I, but but again, I I think that you also don't. Uh, I technically yes, you consume that steak, but I think the more appropriate word would be you eat it. And I'm you just taste trying it. to say that my poop smells weird, Jason, when I watch <laughs> movies. Why does that happen? That's the whole reason I'm talking to you. I thought you had a solution to my movies make my poop smell weird problem. Oh, no, no. Oh, Jim, you're on the wrong show. Ah, just, ah. This is not, this is, this is synesthesia. This is not, this is not pooptastrophe. <laughs> oh, no. I thought I called into pooptastrophe. <laughs> what a phone-tastrophe. Do you have my phone number in your phone listed as pooptastrophe? Yeah, yes. That's, that's what you told me to put it in as. <laughs> So you're setting yourself up in terms of that story as like somebody who hasn't, again, not in a culture void, but you (laughs) don't have a ton of exposure to a lot of different things. And then as soon as you did get that exposure, you're just, you know, mainlining it almost just, just it's coming in nonstop and you're hearing all of these different things. But there was something about you that was primed to receive. Yeah, yeah. Those college radio stations, because somebody else might have heard it and thought, eh, what else is on? <laughs> but you were primed to receive that stuff. I do have a specific memory of, there was, I used to go to Bull Moose Music. It's a record shop in the New England area. You probably have one in Boston. Um, um, oh, they're was, only in New Hampshire and Maine. Oh, okay. There you go. Um, you have you have to go to Newberry Comics like a loser. I'm just kidding. Newberry Ugh. Comics is great. Um, the, it's uh, not. <laughs> don't lie. It has a great logo. The uh, only it does have a good logo. The only time I went to Newberry Comics recently was to try to buy the Purple Mountains record mm-hmm. uh, after David Berman died. I was going to yeah. buy it at the show. There must have been a uh, run on David Berman stuff, though. Mm, I don't know that they ever got it in because yeah, I asked uh, them and they were like, "No, we don't have that." Like they just didn't even care. Yeah. Wow. So um, that's that's anti-Semitic. I don't know. I yeah. anyway. Um, it's it's it, it was a trying time for me. Yeah, uh, but I, I have a distinct memory of packing five of us, me and four friends, into somebody's car uh, and and heading out to Bull Moose, hanging out in Portsmouth for a minute, and we all like bought some albums, and then we were driving back and we were taking turns playing the albums that we had bought. Um, and I don't remember what only anyone else had bought stuff they were into. I guess like probably Glassjaw or something. Um, and I I had bought. Uh, I don't remember the name of the album, but it's it's a collaboration album between Christian Markley and Atomo Yoshihide, uh, <laughs> and, and we put it in, and it's like you know it's like abstract turntable stuff. It's all like sort of like sketched up and like noisy. And my friends were all like, "Oh no, you bought a broken thing." <laughs> and I was like, "No, this is what it, this is the music. This is what it's supposed to sound like." And they were like, "Cool, okay, let's put in the next one." <laughs> So there were clues. 
Yeah. No, 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 for sure. I mean, and, that, and that's that's sort of what I'm thinking about. I'm remembering now that you're telling me that story, I'm remembering a couple of mine. Um, one, one formative uh, realization was when I was having a conversation with somebody about Jackie Brown. Sure. The Quentin Tarantino movie. I'm familiar. Um, which... I still have a great deal of affection for it, but when I was a teenager, I fucking loved Jackie Brown. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, and it's still my favorite of his films. Yeah, uh, I would say his only good one. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we can we can we can do that. Yeah, let's we'll just lock uh, it down there. I'm down. Uh, but I remember talking to somebody and them talking about how they kind of liked it, but it was so slow. Really? And I remember being in that conversation and just not understanding what they meant. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, I mean, it's long. Yes. It's two and a half hours, but like there's always things happening. And it, yeah. and it, I, I did sort of, I, after a while thinking about it, I did realize what they meant. And I think that might be the difference between you and me is that I, I can I can speak normie. Um, I just have to take a minute. Uh, but it, I, and I and I did realize it's like oh well I just have this completely different frame of reference because like you know I've watched Ingmar Bergman films at this point in time. It's like that's sure. you know if you want to talk about oh like that was a person who had never watched a movie that was paced slower than they must not have I mean, to, uh, for, from at least the way they were talking about it you would think Jackie Brown is the slowest paced movie they'd ever seen which is crazy They're like it's glacial but if you think about movies in general it does end up making sense like if you think about American mainstream uh, films like that is a very deliberately yeah, but why would I think about those films <laughs> Right. When that's the thing, is that why well, would you think not... about them? I have the the disease of... Half sarcastic, right? Like, I'll watch Crank yeah. any day. I'll watch it twice a day. Um, and that movie's the fastest. Right, right, right. But you're watching it for itself, not because you're like, I all of my movies should be paced like this. Oh, for sure. Um, but no, I, I have the... I don't know. I have this impulse or compulsion or I, whatever it is, it's unavoidable, that I do think about how the wider you know mass audience is perceiving things what they're watching what uh what their standard is what their median is like how they're going to interpret something that falls outside of the the preponderance of data points and Which is i know smart, that you Jason, you should do that well, no 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 i, I don't know i it's also smart. should do that that's why i'm a failing filmmaker right now Jason. <laughs> Because well, I, I'm a I'm a fully failed filmmaker. <laughs> but you're a film scholar now. That's not a full failure. That's um, just a that's just a, a hop. But I, I know that you don't have that impulse, or even sometimes it seems like maybe you don't even have that. Like you can't speak that language. It just it it's so alien to you to think that way. And it at times I wish weird. it was more alien to me to think that way because it does feel like the culture at large has colonized a part of my brain <laughs> that you have somehow, you know, been protected from. You know, it's like the the port city at the beginning of uh, Joseph Conrad's Nostromo where the this the city that that lives in this bay where the the wind is so weird and still that no conquistador ships have ever actually sailed into it successfully. <laughs> and so it's like this weird preserved space. What are you are you talking about alien now? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Then I'm with you. Then I'm Yes. For a second I thought you were talking about some kind of literature and I just didn't I couldn't follow. And then I heard uh, and then I heard Sukorny Weaver and I was back on board. Well, I was talking about the alien Joseph Conrad. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> he was a he was a gray who came to Earth and learned English, and then wrote some books. Books. Um, Jason, do you remember? I'm sure we saw this in Scott's class because I've seen it. Um, but do you remember uh, Cycles of Threes and Sevens? It's what? A, it's a Tony Conrad film, and it's like half an hour long. And it's just, I think it's just a single shot of him doing math on a calculator. He's like, you, he's like doing a specific thing on a calculator where he's like, you add three, divide by seven, add three, divide by seven. And he's just and doing that over and over and over again for like half an hour. And then he's supposed to get some specific result. And I think it comes out wrong the first time and he has to do it again. And then he's like, ah, there it is. I don't think I've seen that. I think the oh, only okay. Tony Conrad film I've seen is The Flicker. Oh, okay. 
I might have run into it somewhere else or something. It's it's a it's all a long time ago. That that movie is it's one of the ones that is stuck in my. You know how like and with anything, right? It's some things resonate, some things don't. But with watching a pile of experimental films, you end up with some that you seethe over and some that you just completely remove themselves from your brain and then some that are like stuck in there forever which is why I I emailed you the other day about that Bruce Bailey film because it's it's in my brain but I can never remember Bruce Bailey's (laughs) name or the name of that film Um, but it's so good all my Uh, life oh it's beautiful it's amazing Um, I uh, someone had emailed me asking like a young person who's going to school at CalArts emailed me and asked because she had found one of my short films that she was asking me about making uh, she put it in a really good way like casually gross horror movies Um, (laughs) but we were talking about sort of and I was talking about how I think that I think that your aim as a filmmaker should be to make people feel things not think things or follow the story Um, oh yeah yeah, and, and we were talking about sort of getting there, and then I, I wanted to send her all my life as like an example of a film that isn't trying to tell you a story, you know. But is oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's like also threes and sevens also is stuck in my head. You should look it up sometime. It's I it's should. so it's so. I mean, it's one shot and it's of a calculator and a hand, but I think it's funny for the full runtime. I believe it. I believe it. the aim of film. Ray Carney calls it thinking without ideas. <laughs> yeah. You, that, you know, you can think in experiences as opposed to conceptions about experience. Yeah. I also think that practicing, as a, as a you know, I think, I think that if you're going to try to make anything, really, I think practicing trying to convey feelings and express emotions without doing it in a, in a, like, a heavily literary sense makes you stronger when you do then get that contract to make a movie that is story-based. <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, because, well, the way I look at it is that story just becomes another tool yeah. for creating certain effects. I mean, I I annoy people at parties uh, who try to talk to me about movies uh, <laughs> with, with my but, well, pet just series, but, like, I, yeah. I, I genuinely think not only the, the big, great, you know, masterpieces of film art, but all films don't actually have to do with storytelling. They yeah. have to do with delivering certain experiences. And I think yeah. that most films are delivering really simple experiences. They're delivering excitement or suspense or, mm-hmm. you know, here's a thing that will make you tear up. Here's a thing that will make you feel nice inside. Here's a thing. And they're, and they're using their narratives and their uh, spectacles to do that, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't actually think on if you drill down to whatever i don't know not quite subconscious not quite conscious level for maybe for some of these people but like i don't know, die hard john mctiernan is not actually trying to tell a story no matter how much he might sure. say he is no matter yeah. how much every screenwriting book in the world might say he is yeah that film is not trying to tell a story it's trying to deliver a series of excitements yeah. and it's using and it narrative does, it as a tool to well. do that yeah. Well, we yeah. do have to do an episode about Die Hard. Oh, yeah. Because I don't get Die Hard. Oh, is that true? I mean, I get it intellectually. I understand sure. what people are talking about. But it's you never it, you don't, done you don't. a thing for me. That's fascinating. Definitely With the sole exception of the scene where uh, Hans Gruber uh, pretends to be an American and goes, sure. Oh, you're one of them! You're one of them! Don't shoot me! <laughs> Uh, that seems great. Other than that, the movie like just doesn't move me at all. So we, we have to talk about that in, in in detail sometime. But just using that as an example of a film that people talk about the screenwriting of all the time. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's in any book you read that talks about screenplays. They're like, the perfect screenplay is Diamond. Yeah, or even something like Lincoln. I'll just uh, because that's apparently going to be one of my go-to examples of something. I'm so glad. Like, Lincoln is not. It might think that it what it's doing is it's telling the story of Abraham Lincoln and the ratification of the anti-slavery amendment but what it's delivering is particular kinds of, of experiences of you are you are feeling cultured right now you are feeling you know like you're learning something right now that's what it's you're feeling like America's okay right now like it, it's, it's delivering you know these little packets of, of feelings and ideas and ideology and it's doing it almost 
if not as simplistically as Die Hard is. That's I like that you you sort of took it meta textual on that one, right? Because it's like Die Hard, or most I think most films that come out in you know February through August are like they're trying to give you they're like ooh you're enthralled because there's glass on the floor, right? They're like going for that level of of, of you're, they're trying to keep you give you those feelings, but in a way that are tied into the world of the movie, but. Or at least they used to. We can have an argument over whether (laughs) the the rise of of mega franchises now really do that because everything's referencing every other movie you've already seen. Right. But but that's the, the like, goal. Or if they're doing their job, that's kind of what they're doing. It's the model, yeah. But then the end of your movies are trying to do that more... That more... It's like outside of the kayfabe of the movie. They're doing this... They're trying to make you feel good about yourself. They're trying to make you feel smug, right? There's like that whole sort of Oscar season uh, run where, where, you know, you watch Green Book and you're not watching it to feel anything that those characters are feeling. You're watching it to feel good about yourself. Yeah, they're, they're movies that are designed to make you feel smart without actually making you think. Yeah. It, it's, Which is, that's what they're delivering. That's the thrill that they're delivering is they're delivering yeah. the... And, and, you know, look, I enjoy that. Like that's why I, I as I've mentioned on here, I've watched Lincoln many times. I enjoy the pleasures that it delivers, but I'm not confused about the fact that they are very simplistic pleasures. They are sure. not actually more complex or deep or smart pleasures than right. watching Bruce Willis shoot a blonde terrorist. Like it's just sure. the they're they're just different flavors of the same food. Um, no, but when you get into something that is genuinely interesting, uh, which someday we might talk about a movie that's good. I've uh, never seen one, so <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to. But those movies, whether we're talking about avant-garde movies like Bruce Bailey, or if we're talking about Harold Pinter's Homecoming, or if we're talking about you know anything in between, mm-hmm. um, they are also in the business of delivering feelings and stimulus and experiences, but they're delivering much more complex, layered, you know, weirder packages of them. Yes. That and, cause and you, to, you to stop and process. Process, yeah. exactly. It's um, the, like the, the metaphor would be like a, uh, a melody versus a harmony, right? Like if you get a melody, yeah. you can follow the melody and you can sing along. Do, 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 do. But if all of a sudden you have multiple notes playing at the same time or you have different parts that are harmonizing in different spaces, you, you have to start making these connections and start hearing this more complicated experience. Yeah. We should, um, just thinking about movies that are genuinely good, uh, next year, instead of doing Stephen King every day in October, we should rewatch Haunted Honeymoon every day in October. <laughs> And put your right foot in, and you bring it back. That's what we call ball, ball in, the, in jack. the jack. We did a harmony there. <laughs> Was it too complex for you, mythical uh, listener? God, I think about Haunted Honeymoon very regularly. <laughs> when you say regularly, I mean, do you mean when you're pooping? Yes. <laughs> What a poop catastrophe! Well, whenever I have a poop catastrophe, I try to channel the spirit of Gene Wilder. Oh, Whoa! <laughs> what? 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 Wait, no, 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 sit, 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 sit. Uh, talk about actors who commit, man. Gene Wilder. Oof. <sighs> Marriage is a wonderful thing. My mother never... What I'm about to tell you... First... First you put your two knees close up tight. You mean you swing them to the left? Yes. And then you swing them to the right? Oh, my dear. You'll step around the floor, kind of nice and light. One, two! And, and then, then you, you twist, twist around and twist around, around with all your, your might. Spread your loving arms, clear out of space. You do, do the eagle rock with style and grace. You put your left foot out and bring it back. 
Synesthesia is produced by Iguana Donald Studios and distributed by Split Tooth Media. Featuring music by The Cocktails, courtesy of Tight Ship Records. Theme music by Soft Healer. Synesthesia is not associated with the Society for Cross-Pollination of Geographically Distinct Stinkweeds, despite all rumors to the contrary. We at Synesthesia support keeping all stinkweeds geographically isolated, and reject any suggestion that we are, quote, soft on stinkweed migration, unquote. I found it again as an adult, and I was like, ah! Synesthesia.